When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All because of a fancy bike? It's not just a bike. Peloton makes treadmills too. Eh, all treadmills are the same. Our treadmills can adjust speed and incline automatically so you never break your stride. Whether you're squeezing in a power walk or training for a marathon, Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try the Peloton Tread risk-free with the 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits. Perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour. Presented by Capital One. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala, and I know entirely too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. To some, that is embarrassing. With me, as always, someone who I think it is embarrassing to know me and to be a part of this, but she's along for the ride. Anyway, it's my co-host, the skeptic, the voice of the people, Kristen Sutter. Hi, Kristen. Hello, Joe. Wow. Yeah. Embarrassing to some. (laughs) To you specifically, you're Mostly embarrassed for me. me. I'm very embarrassed for us as a as a whole, as a podcast, as a community. But also, I'm each day like inching closer and closer to some point of. I'm proud that I remember things now, but I'm also sad about it. Well, <laughs> I, I, well, are I hope you're enjoying the bad pun theme month oh, that we're in right now. Uh, we are. In the second week of Doc Gist, our celebration of the documentaries of this year's this rolls rock and roll. right off the tongue, Doc Gist. It has to, it has to be bad. You know the rules. Uh, but yeah, we are we are taking a look at the documentaries of the inductees this year because there were quite a few. Very recently, uh, we did the Black Godfather last week, and this week, very excited to have two members of the team behind. The Go-Go's documentary. First up, we've got the editor, continuing our streak of talking to the editors of these films. We've got Brett Banks. Hello, Brett. Hello, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. And Brett's not alone. He brought with him the director of the film, Allison Elwood. Hi, Allison. Hey, so fun to be here. Absolute get. 
can't believe it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're very excited uh, to, talk, to talk to you both. So I, I will pose the question that I pose to all of our guests up top. First thing, out of the gate, and we can start with you, Brett. What is your level of familiarity with this bizarre institution called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, like many, I think the Rock Hall is something uh, I've heard of. I'm aware that it's there. I know it's a big deal, but I've never put too much stock in it. You know, I, I feel like for so long, there have been a ton of overlooked artists who maybe don't have the sales on billboard charts that maybe aren't recognized by the Rock Hall. Same time, it's in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, so okay. it, it puts Ohio on the map. So I like that about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I think that's that's a good reasoned uh, experience with the Rock Hall and feeling about it. Uh, Allison, what about you? Uh, kind of similar to Brett, you know. I you know was aware of it and you know would see certain you know we've obviously worked on films that have artists that have been inducted. So I've worked with footage of it before, you know, I, I never followed it particularly so, but you know, it was funny with the Go-Go's because I was so sure that they were going to be inducted before we finished the film that we were going to have to take out the little stings at the end. Mm. And Brett and I were prepared to remove those. And when they didn't, we're just like, ah, screw it. We're keeping them in. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it comes, it has come up a lot on the show, but we think the documentary did a great service in terms of providing the momentum to get them on the ballot and then get them inducted. I think it was a reminder. <laughs> yeah, it feels like, yeah, like a reminder. It's a way to raise consciousness around a band. We often say, because well, during the non-ceremony season, uh, like <laughs> in the off season, oh my gosh, in the off season, our show is about like bands who aren't inducted and if they will get in, why, how, and you know, when, etc. And one of the things we often say, you know, well, they could get in like, you know, five to 10 years from now, unless someone makes a documentary about them next year and then their chances go up because people are talking about them. It happened. We've seen it quite a few times in the past couple of years yeah so that, that it's interesting that you say that the uh you were so sure they were going to get in but it's almost like a, a fail safe on some level because it, it comes up in the movie yeah twice well yeah she right. calls out jan wenner by name uh, <laughs> yeah belinda does belinda does and calls out not being in the rock hall because of you know them not being grateful enough for him putting saying that they put out on the cover of a magazine um <laughs> And then, yeah, at the end, there's that whole stinger. Yeah. But, but funny about that, when we were at Sundance, the magazine officially belatedly apologized for saying that. <laughs> who, who, on behalf of who, like, did they send you, uh, like, who no, said it? No, it printed in the magazine. Do you remember who wrote it, Brett? No, but it, I think in Rolling Stone's review for the, uh, for the doc after we played at Sundance, yeah, someone just snuck in a little... A little side note that like whoops you know turns out we got that one wrong <laughs> mm -hmm. omitting the so yeah, yeah. So, so at least i i actually never knew much about rolling stone's connection with the rock call before getting into the go-go so yeah um, it's just it's a strong one 
Yeah, I had heard of it because obviously about our show, on our show and stuff, but I just listened to like the Jan Wenner biography and I now I'm like a hall truther about how intertwined Rolling Stone and and also just the institution of the record industry is so deeply just enmeshed in the decision-making of who, especially in the formative years, like who gets in, who's worthy, all of that stuff. Yeah. And is it true that you have to lobby? Um, you know, it is and it isn't. We know of cases where very powerful people wanted an artist to get in and they didn't. Yeah, if you could lobby your way in, like the Jay Giles band would be in. Right, Foreigner would be in. There are very powerful people who, if they truly did have unilateral decision-making, that those bands would be in, but they're not. But, you know, you do need someone in that room, in that nominating committee, to bring up the name. And if you know those people and you establish a connection with that person and you can convince them, I mean, I have tried to do it on behalf of bands I have no business dealings with that I have no connection to just because I think about this a lot and I'm insane. But we also know somebody whose management company paid for a flight to New York to the nominating committee so that he could nominate the band that they got in. So it, it's all over the spectrum. Sometimes it's just, you know, they're an obvious choice and sometimes it's an advocacy. Well, we're an odd industry that that feels compelled to award ourselves in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And, it, it, you know, you can say it's, it's a weird position to be in because you can say like, well, it doesn't it doesn't matter. The whole idea of the award is is false on its on the very notion of it. But then you're like, well, it keeps happening. And yeah. <laughs> And maybe we could work from within the system to try to try to push it in the right direction. Yeah. Joe's a reformer and I'm an abolitionist. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I don't know if you ever put it in those terms exactly, but I think that's I think that's accurate. Um, I would love to know how this documentary started. Like what were the what was the genesis of the idea? The band actually uh, they loved the Eagles film that I did and they As felt do I. Thank you. And they felt it was honest and, and they had they were really gun shy after their behind the music VH1 thing mm-hmm. that really focused on the salacious. Um, and, I, yeah. sorry, I forgot. About, I, I kept thinking when I was watching the movie today and I apologize for interrupting, but like I kept being like, why do I know about how hard they partied. I'm like, I remember there being like a video of them wasted and trashed on tour. And I was just like, why do I? And you just saying that I'm like, it's from their freaking behind the music. That is, yeah, it really was quite salacious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. They, they were, no, they were super gun shy. But when they saw the Eagles film, they said, okay. So we, you know, I had phone meetings with them, personal meetings with them. And you know, we finally just, I finally just said, look, it, this is a, an issue of mutual trust. And I have to trust you as well, because I don't want to do the salacious thing. I'm interested in the music. I'm interested in the growth and the songs. I was a fan, a huge fan. I didn't know as much about their punk roots as Brett did, I think. And, you know, and Brett, I've worked with on so many films and he's one of my absolute number one go-to guys. And so I brought him in and Brett, you tell your part of getting into this. <laughs> Actually, it's funny learning about the Go-Go's punk roots. That was what hooked me. Um, But Allison gave me a call one day letting me know that she was going to direct a doc about the Go-Go's. And this was 
at that point, all I really knew was our lips are sealed and we got the beat. So I quickly, I quickly just wanted to, of course I said yes, but I quickly wanted to know like, you know, what else is there? And it didn't take long to find videos and photos of their early days before Jane knew how to play guitar, you know? (laughs) And just seeing, seeing this band that so many of us know from like, you know, watching highlights on MTV or something and as this super, not quite bubblegummy, but a definite pop group and, and seeing where they came from and being legitimate punks who crawled out of the same scene as, you know, as the germs, uh, the germs and as the plugs. And I mean, so many like legitimate punk punk yes band. like punk cred punk like this yeah, isn't some fooling crusty around bands <laughs> were intense and hardcore totally and, and like early photos of jane weedlin who is the sweetest and tiniest pixie of a person <laughs> uh seeing photos of her as a 17 year old girl where she looks like she's ready to get in a fist fight with anybody who crosses her or something like <laughs> Yeah, this is a band that there was, there's so much of their story that I think Allison uh, quickly wanted to untap and share with everyone. So, and like there, there really is so much incredible footage from that time. There was so much footage of even their very earliest stuff. What an amazing thing. And then also that their first manager was just like, I took pictures of everything all the time. (laughs) And like, how amazing, you know, and to get all of the cooperation from all of those people is like pretty great. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, was that difficult to find or was it readily available once you talked to the right people? I mean, it's out there. It it took some digging Mm -hmm. and it took more importantly toward the end when we needed to actually finish it and find better quality versions of some of the stuff. That's when Brett and I were literally pulling out our hair going, we can't use this. It's like, you know. Yeah. Right. Unwatchable. Yeah. Yeah. But no, there's a lot of great stuff. You know, it's weird because I had just, you know, I was also simultaneously kind of finishing the Laurel Canyon series and Laurel Canyon stuff had footage that was filmed that was shot earlier, but mm-hmm. film holds up so much better than videotape, especially the early videotape. Mm-hmm. So the quality was ironically better 10 years earlier than it was in the early 80s. Yeah, yeah that also, that feels like a microcosm of both those scenes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one is like down and dirty. One is, you know, very, you know, up in the canyon, very clean. Yeah. And- but we kind of just went with that as a style. In fact, you know, we, we kind of used that kind of grittiness Mm-hmm. For you know, for our, our titles and animation and stuff, we wanted we embraced it. Yeah, it and it it absolutely works. The aesthetic comes across for sure. And I thought the choice to kind of begin the movie not dwelling on their childhoods, but focusing rather on the connection to punk when punk entered their lives felt super important. Yeah. It was that moment of the spark. I felt like the film spends more than half on the rise before they get famous, before they break, before. It starts with, okay, we don't know how to play instruments. And then it goes up. Like, I feel like it's like, they don't even get their first record deal until over halfway through the, the movie. And so you're watching them grow and learn. 
we just did, you know, it's Dockist. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's better. I really like Dockist more than Fulai. I will say I'm enjoying it a lot more. I like the subject matter a lot more. Um, but I think that one of the, the coolest things about it was I, I learned a lot that I didn't know. I had a surface level awareness of the band. I felt like it focused more, less on the salaciousness and more on the, the friendships. And there was drama, but like it wasn't an, a National Enquirer piece. Like, And the fact that they were all on board to agree to be interviewed, even the band members who had been fired and who, you know, and the manager who had been fired and all of that stuff. It's like the fact that they were, that they came back together at the end. I was like, that makes me feel nice. <laughs> yeah, was that ever at all an issue? It was an issue for uh, Margot and Alyssa. It took quite a bit of convincing. I mean, I can imagine. Uh, that's Alyssa Bello, the original drummer, and uh, Margot Olivaria, the original bass player, because you know both of them were kicked out of the band. And then there's Ginger, who was their manager from the very beginning and through a lot of their success, but was pushed out kind of at their peak. Ginger was on board pretty much right away. A lot of those relationships uh, over time, as you learn, kind of were frayed and have gone through challenges. And Allison was a huge part of bringing these people together. And there was a ton of work, you know, where Allie and our producers were really working to get these women to be comfortable enough to be vulnerable enough to participate. Well, I mean, you know, if there's going to be a band that has had some bad blood, you know, you've already done the Eagles documentary. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was just like, like a cakewalk after the Eagles documentary. Sailing. Good Lord. <laughs> I mean, do you feel like you developed that skill? Maybe on the Eagles documentary, you have to talk to, uh, I mean, you have to convince the most like famously fraught rock band and now it's like, well, if I did the Eagles, I can I can do anything. I always say that the Eagles was a film about male anger and the Go-Go's is a film about female pain. <laughs> Ooh, that's very that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And I, I, I got a, every Rock Hall connection I have to point out. Robert Hilburn, one of, one of their early songs about a, a rock critic who was on the nominating committee for a very long time from the very beginning of the oh. Rock Hall. But, you know, I think by the time he heard that song, from what I understand, by the time he like learned about it, because it was not like obviously on an album, it was just like an early uh, messy song that they would scream. He was already like on board with the Go-Go's and he thought like, oh, that's interesting. Did you consider talking to to Bob Hilburn? We did. I, Brad, do you remember? I, he he said he wouldn't do an interview about it. He doesn't do interviews about that. Any, any of this anymore, I don't think. I don't remember exactly. We did reach out to him. Yeah, I, I think we wanted his take on it because Robert Hilburn became one of our favorite Go-Go songs. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, that's why it made it in the film. That's mm -hmm. why we wanted to, you know, give it a give it a beat to feature it. And it, it's one of those sequences where we throw the lyrics up. Uh, right, to yeah. It, mm -hmm. well. it gets its moment, yeah. Yeah, it definitely gets its moment. Well, I, I will let you guys know that uh, he will not talk to us either, so... <laughs> Yeah, I don't think he does interviews. I think even though he has a radio show, I think he's a relatively shy man. Yeah. In, in the end, he ended up liking them and he gave them good reviews. Right. Yeah. So that's uh, that's really the irony of it, I guess. It was a mutual respect for two titans, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, he's like, he's one of the great rock critics of all time, I suppose. Great in the sense of, I guess, enormity at the very least. Mm. It's also the movie to me almost felt a little bit like classically 
assembling a crew type movie. <laughs> like yeah. the way it is the way it is spaced out is is so fun because it's like, okay, Belinda Carlisle is the singer, and then on drums is this woman Alyssa Bello, and then Margot Olivaria is on bass, and then Jane Wheedlin is playing guitar, and none of them really know what they're doing, but they're punk. And then they bring in Charlotte Caffey, this classically trained musician and she brings musicianship to the group and then they get rid of Alyssa and they bring in Gina Shock this incredible drummer from Baltimore who is really good and whips him into shape and has a work ethic and then they get Ginger this manager who really believes in them and has a vision for them and then when it's not working with Margot they find Kathy Valentine who joins the group and she fits perfectly as their new bass player uh, then they sign at IRS Records. So Miles Copeland, who managed the police and was Stuart Copeland's brother, and he has a vision for them as well. So you, you kind of uh, assemble the crew to make the Go-Go's what the Go-Go's are. And I thought that the pacing of it elevates in, in a way that it gives you that excitement that you get with a heist movie. That's an interesting way to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's amazing. I Yeah, I remember early on how great the shoots were with these women, but like how individually unique each of them are. Mm -hmm. I think like from the beginning, Ali, I think you were stressing like each individual needs their due and needs their moment or their few moments. So yeah, assembling the squad. I mean, they're kind of like a, a superhero team in a way. They, they each have different powers. Uh, and I guess that's <laughs> what makes every great band a great band. I remember seeing them when I was like a young kid and being like, look at these pretty women doing their thing. They're like, why did we make it? And it's like, oh, well, you know, the songs are good and we're talented and like all of that stuff. But it was also a very beautiful package that they wound up in, in a way. Yeah, but they had to fight hard for that package. That package oh, yeah. That wasn't a sellable package at the time they were trying to sell it and they got rejected, rejected, rejected. They just kept working really hard. And obviously, you know, Miles came in and saw them and believed in them and, and was willing to take a chance where others weren't because no one had done what they were doing at before them. They were the first. They were the only first all-girl band to write their own songs and play their own instruments and to be put together by themselves. They weren't, yeah. you know, some golly. I know Miles has a great line when he talks about signing them. And, it, you know, he's like, they're from L.A., they're punks and they're all girls. Like it was perfect. And I think it took someone with a sort of outsider mentality like Miles Copeland to take that first step that I think probably pop culture later, well, pretty quickly hopped on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, I, and the, that quote that you said that I like that you forgot to mention was it doesn't even matter if they're good. They happen right. to be good. But Very like, true. there's there's all these, which I love that, there's all these elements that are so interesting, like, fuck, like, they don't have to be good. Already, we just have something that you kind of want to see play out, but then they also happen to be great and, and have great songs. Well, and I think what's fascinating about that to him, he's like, it's obvious this is a slam dunk. And then also they're very good at writing songs and playing music and stuff. But, you know, label after label after label before that had seen that exact same thing and been like, yeah, no, that's not a winning combination. And he was like, it's such an obviously winning combination. And we now, I think, have retconned that into our subconscious. We're like, yeah, a girl band. Now it just seems so clear that it would be such a success because we know it was. I, I just want to point out that 
maybe the the greatest accent in all of documentaries is Gina Shock's Baltimore accent. Like yeah. it, it is, you know, not what you ex- at least not what I was expecting, especially from what you consider to be an LA punk band. That was a real. I mean, I'll say it. It was a shock. Apologies. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like it, it really, I'm from Pittsburgh. So that like mid-Atlantic area, I am very familiar with that type of accent. And I got to say, I never, I, I never, <laughs> I never got tired of, of hearing Gina shock. I mean, like, you know, we, we got to, <laughs> we got practice. <laughs> it's not an accent that uh, I, I think most mortals can even get close to imitate. Like, if you're not from Baltimore, you can't even touch that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really excellent. I really like the way that, especially for the the pivotal song creation, the way that the, the film gets you into that songwriting mindset. Like, we get that with Charlotte describing how We Got the Beat came to her almost like as divine intervention while yeah, she's in watching. Yeah, like a fugue Twilight state. Song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then also later when we get, I think the story of Our Lips Are Sealed is a, is a really interesting one where they were touring with the specials overseas. And then, you know, Jane Weedland develops a little bit of a romance with Terry from the specials. And after the tour, he sends her some lyrics, which she really connects to and then builds upon that. And it becomes Our Lips Are Sealed, one of their biggest songs and he did the song too which is interesting and at one point we had his version in Mm -hmm. and it was fun to hear the difference of them what was his band called that played their version of our lips are sealed i almost forget it was like the the fun the the fun fun boys Fun boys, fun boy, fun boy three, fun boy three, yeah. The fun boy three. I think it's just fun boy three. Fun boy three. Fun okay, boy good. Three. I yeah. like fun boy I, three. that. Does that shouldn't have a the in it? You know, when I was seeing when I was watching that, she was just like he sent me the lyrics, and I started with those, and then I, you know, made kind of like wrote the song or whatever, and I was like, gosh, you know, how does he feel about that or whatever? And then I saw later on, there's a whole bunch of about who's getting credit for writing what song, and then I see our lips are sealed, and then she gets the songwriting credit, and then he also had gotten songwriting credit on that song as well. I'm like, yeah. oh, question answered. Well, I also love the way the animation helps tell those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really fun. We wanted to go with something very 80s, neon, bright, but a little punk and edgy. And everybody gets their moment with that, which is great. Yeah. And also listening or hearing the passion that the members of the specials and madness yeah. still have for the Go-Go's is really, really infectious. Yeah, I thought it was super cool that there there's so many like really excellent, perfect sound bites that people just give where, you know, they're like, great. So we're going to start a band. There's just one problem. Like we can't play any instruments or whatever. You know, it's like they they really like get they do the setup and the and the punchline, you know, and that thing about how they went over, had this really hard, rough time in the UK. And then they come back to the US and everyone's like, your stars in the UK. Welcome congrats then they start taking off here well they what they said is that they hadn't really launched in the uk it was horrible for them right but because they had the stiff single and they came back people thought they'd launched and they and they say at one point we and we weren't going to tell them otherwise yes exactly why why just let them go with it and go with it ride the wave yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. Was there, I mean, the movie does not have any footage from the UK tour, does it? Well, we pretend we do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, there, there are some photos. Uh, there's some right. photos of the UK tour. Yeah, but no one was shooting during that. But but yeah, we do kind of, we weave in a few early performances to kind of impressionistic put you there. <laughs> yeah, give if it's not literally the UK tour, it gives you the vibe. Yeah, we yeah. searched and searched for that. And, uh, you know, somewhere I'm sure something exists, but we, we weren't able to come across it, which is too bad. But, you know, I think between the stills and some of the earlier stuff, you know, you, you get the sense of what it was like for them there. But the thing is, is that they really, because it was so, they were under such duress and being spit at and bottles thrown at them mm -hmm. and screamed at that they actually, they, you know, their attitude was like, well, we're going to get better and fuck you. And they did. They got tight. Mm -hmm. So by the time they got back to L.A., not only did people think that they had become stars, they really had because they'd figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. Nice when that works out. <laughs> I guess it's a good lesson about the value of being spat upon by audiences nightly. <laughs> I don't I don't know. <laughs> For, forged in the fire. Hardened like cast yeah. iron. I think, too, also like seeing L.A. in the 80s as someone who lives in Los Angeles right now was like really so fun and wild to think about Hollywood being a cool, crusty place where punks go. I'm like, Hollywood is where tourists go, <laughs> you know, where that club is and stuff. I'm like, yeah, that is not like a cool would not, area would never go anymore. there to find anything interesting. Yeah, to find anything like interesting or like the next big thing is not going to be coming out of Hollywood Boulevard in that area there was like that moment in the film where i really just was like oh wow it's like when you see the we got the beat video i think it is or yeah it's the one where they're in the convertible it's our lips, our lips are sealed they're in the convertible and it's just oh wow it, yeah it, they look so sunny everything had been so all this club footage and things like that and you see that the way that the public met them though was sunny california girls driving around in a convertible and i love the story that that they that they were so mad about having to do that video there were a lot of funny things that we had to leave trying on to get arrested well, that, trying to get arrested, but also that they just so didn't want to do it. They're like, this is stupid. What's MTV? We don't want to do this. And but we'll, we'll at least get arrested. And then that didn't happen. And it's a rough day for them. <laughs> I, I, I mean, one of the one of the coolest parts of their story to me was um, was how the producer of Beauty and the Beat, Richard Goddard, mm -hmm. who is this minor titan of pop music songwriting i believe he wrote the song i want candy he goes back to things like that he produced girl groups i think he did a shirelles album but somehow he was the one producing beauty and the beat and i love when gina shock the drummer mentions that you know they're in the studio they're trying to work out the kinks and richard goddard instructed them to just lower the tempo of mm -hmm. every single song slow it down and yeah, and so it's it sort of like it turns punk music into pop music when you do that. And that's another part of the, like you said, with the Our Lips Are Sealed video and the sunshine and the convertible, that plus a seasoned pop producer, this is kind of what happens. It's, it's really interesting. And they hated the album when they first heard it. They hated it. Right. Because they said it doesn't sound like us. We don't sound punk anymore. 
they were really angry and then suddenly it starts getting all this airplay more. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Cause I got to imagine there's, there's some degree of you feel like you sold out and like the scene you came out of is no longer going to accept you. And, and they didn't, there was backlash. Yeah. Why don't we take a quick break? And then when we come back, we'll have more to talk about with the director and editor of the Go-Go's documentary. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break, you learned a fun fact. We learned a fun fact. And also that you gave someone a nice compliment. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Fun fact, we learned over the break. So there's a part in the movie where Kathy Valentine has to sub in. She's not the bass player yet. Uh, She's subbing in for Margot, the original bass player who is sick. And she has to learn all the Go-Go songs on the bass, an instrument she does not really know how to play. And she does it in like a three-day Coke binge, uh, super, (laughs) super focused, like trying to figure out. And you hear that in the movie, you hear, you know, what is in quotes, her learning those bass lines, the person actually playing the bass. Why? It's Brett Banks. And the editor was many times. (laughs) I feel feel heard. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I guess the way that scene came together, uh, obviously Kathy tells the story beautifully about how she decides to go on a three-day Coke bender after lying about her her skills on the bass. But yeah, I, I guess while editing the scene, I was just kind of reaching for a little soundtrack that would sound human. And uh, so I picked up my bass and it, it's one of the benefits of being a musician when you work on a music doc. You can really like crawl into the skin of these characters in a way and play what they play. So yeah, I the three-day Coke bender didn't happen for me. I, I maybe had, uh, I had like a beer and a whiskey, tried to get loose, you know, mm-hmm. tried, to, tried to play slow. But uh, but yeah, that was one of the fun little nuggets in the movie. Yeah, I remember, I was like, oh, wow, they have incredible archival material. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it does kind of morph into instrumental splits of some of their songs that we were luckily able to get our hands on. And like, those were so much fun to play with. Like, do you mean you had like the actual stems uh, yeah. from the track? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we were able to, you know, hear everyone's individual playing and kind of make it feel like you're hearing their voice uh, here and there with that as well. So that is so cool. Yeah. I feel like when I was watching this, I was like, I just, Kathy Valentine has been to therapy and it shows <laughs> i was like she's a wisdom we just, yeah we just love a person who can be like we did not have the tools that we needed we did not have the emotional capacity to be the people that we needed to be for each other at that time and i recognized that and i was like oh my gosh this is a person who has healed <laughs> this is someone who has worked through their trauma it was like very cool to hear someone just so accurately be like we were young and we could not support each other in the ways that we needed at times we were ignoring big problems that other people were having because we were having our own problems and i was like all right, Kathy. Yeah, that one moment during the talk show recording where she sums up everybody's issue, like boom, 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 yeah. boom. Mm-hmm. And then she goes, and I was part of it too. You know, it's like, yep. it, it, it was amazingly insightful. They're all amazingly insightful. They're all 
I mean, the, the most fun thing for me was just how incredibly smart and funny they are. And their banter together is very real. And I'm so glad Brett got to experience a bit of it at Sundance because it's just rapid fire. They're comedians. They really are. There are so many cute, endearing, real moments between them. And the whole like clown family thing, I think is like one of the cutest things I've ever seen. And right. And that occurs at a time, if I'm not mistaken, where, you know, they're having trouble with each other, mm-hmm. but yeah. they still manage to just do this goofy thing where they put on clown noses and take pictures where they're pretending to birth Jane Wheatland. <laughs> That doesn't come from a group that doesn't have fun and doesn't, I think, fundamentally love each other mm-hmm. also. And that ultimately is what comes out, I think, is that, you know, they're like sisters. They really are. And, you know, sister, I've got three sisters and yeah, we fight, but we also love each other dearly and we come back around and and they've come back around multiple times, thankfully. Yeah, I would say the core five really have a good perspective on the things that went down that were ugly. The things happen like it's decided the group is over and not everyone has a say in it. Or Jane Weedland wants to express herself by singing lead on a song and nobody backs her up. And stuff that at the time, and you could understand if someone still held a grudge, but they all seem to have a good and healthy perspective on it while still acknowledging the pain. Yeah. Yeah. They don't minimize or sweep it under the rug what happened, but they all seem to have processed it. And I think too, Jane being so candid about her depression and, you know, suicidal ideation and stuff and just saying like, it has always been very hard for me. And I think so many people would try to minimize that. I think she did everybody a service by being so vulnerable about that. Yeah, I mean, she wanted the film to be the coming out of her being bipolar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and she told me when we did that interview, she said, don't tell any of the other band members I said that. And I'm like, whoa, that's going oh, to wow. be good. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Did you all watch it together at Sundance or, or had they seen it? We watched it together at Sundance. We had sent them at the exact same time. We sent all of them the link. And they watched it in varying orders. Belinda, I think, let it sit on her computer for two or three days before she had the courage to watch it. Mm. So I was a nervous wreck. (laughs) Yeah. Now, when was the Sundance screening? Did you guys get in under the wire before the pandemic? Yes. Like kind of right? We were like the last event before the pandemic. Wow. Right. Because my recollection is I remember when it came out, for public viewing uh and it was it was was locked down yeah Yeah, we were january man that's that's really special that you guys got to have that yeah i think during the pandemic whenever allison and i would chat we would often measure time based on like pre-sundance or post-sundance almost to like yeah try to talk about something positive that isn't covid so (laughs) yeah yeah. no that was the last gasp of the old world yeah truly And the sad thing about COVID, though, is that, you know, the hope had been to release the film theatrically mm-hmm. tied into their concert tours that they had lined up for that summer, that it would hit these cities. And I think it could have been an incredibly huge summer blockbuster movie. And we just didn't have that opportunity. I mean, we're lucky we got to see it with an audience a few times at Sundance, which was spectacular. I mean, the mm-hmm. audience just went nuts. 
and especially when they would do their Q&A, because like I said, they are very, very funny. Well, you know, I guess silver lining, and you guys maybe have thought of this, but when that movie came out was at a time when the country, if not the world, was starving for stuff, and everybody was watching, trying to get their hands on anything interesting to watch, and I think that got some eyes. I would like to think that got some eyes to it who maybe wouldn't have seen it if that was not going on. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, why, why not spend an hour and a half watching beautiful people make fun music and tell great stories and great antics? Yeah. I have a very specific question about <laughs> the, the moment when they ditch Ginger, their original manager, and they go to a bigger management firm that is not named in the <laughs> film. Now, uh, if you do a little bit of research, you can figure out what the management is. And there's, there to me was a little bit more of a story there. May I, may I discuss freely and potentially can we talk about why that's not in the movie or should I cut all this out? Um, you can say whatever you want. I might be quiet about it. Okay. So, if you like look up old, I believe this is in an old Rolling Stone article, might be somewhere else. The Go-Go's were enticed to go to frontline management specifically to be repped by Irving Azoff. Oh, boy. Who at that point, and as Allison knows better than anyone else, had made the Eagles the biggest thing. And he was, you know, one of the most powerful, even at that time, you know, one of the most powerful managers. And, you know, he was inducted into the Rock Hall last yeah. year. He's um, an asshole, but he's our asshole. As, yeah, as Don Henley likes oh, to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, they, so they were lured to- I didn't to, know it was him. I, this they is were information lured for me. to his management firm, but right as they were like almost signing the papers, he left to go run MCA records. <laughs> and so to me, that I thought was an interesting storyline of like, we're going to be rep by this guy signing on the dotted line. Oh shit. He's gone. Now, <laughs> none of that is in the movie for reasons, potentially. That is true. That is what happens. I mean, I work with Irving and you right. know, I have a relationship with him and other things. And there were some actually very funny things that Gina said about him that I think that Irving would have gotten a kick out of, <laughs> but it, at the end of the day, it wasn't about Irving. It was about Ginger. That's why right. we didn't put it in. Okay. It didn't matter who it was with. It was a suit. Mm -hmm. She got replaced by a suit, and that's what was hurtful to her. And maybe, yeah, maybe that is a more powerful way to to tell that is, you know, the. And I just love Ginger. I mean, I was just enamored by her from the minute that she just like comes on the scene, and then the fact that she is she's really candid about her hurt from that situation and hearing Jane basically say, we made a huge mistake. <laughs> we should have stuck with, you know, stuck with the person who really knew and believed in us or like who understood us. Gosh, I really was feeling for her. And now that I know it was Irving Azoff, interesting, interesting, interesting. <laughs> but it, again, it doesn't really matter because he left. It's just, yeah. it, you know. It, it could have been anyone filling that suit. And, you know, the yes. point is no one could do it like Ginger. No, no one really was like 
you know, mother goose to the go-go's in the way that Ginger was. And she really mm-hmm. did. She saw them as her little flock. Well, and I mean, you know, she pawned a bunch of her stuff to send them on their first tour. I mean, she really she was let tears, in, you know? In many ways, on many levels, yeah. But the all good news is, is that they've all been in communication since the film, and I think that there's been some some mending. And certainly within the band, for me, the most moving thing at Sundance was how many of the members came up to me and said, we're actually talking together about these things that we hadn't talked about for 40 years. Wow. And and there's healing that happens as a result of that. And frankly, the same thing happened in the Eagles film. Bernie Ledden went on to play, went back to play with the Eagles before, uh, before Glenn died and time can heal. And these are people that have these incredibly volatile, but, incredibly close relationships that they form in the process of making this beautiful art together. And at some point that's what comes through. And that to me, that's the most important thing that there's the healing that happens. And, uh, you know, at a certain point, like, and they say that in the film, it's like, who else literally knows what we went through except us? There are, you know, four other people on this planet who were there. At the end of the day, that's worth something to have to to have people who truly were there when it all happened. Kristen, I kind of can't believe I'm going to be the one to bring this up. But speaking of Ginger, there's a lot of great wardrobe in this movie. Okay, uh, <laughs> like people are looking great, and like Ginger, I like what Ginger's wearing. But I think top of the list is Kathleen Hanna. Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! That I mean, you know that I, I adore her. I hand ironed that. on set and the producer was freaking out i never let a director iron on set i'm like i know how to iron i'm gonna iron it It was all wrinkled i had to iron it for her i love that it paid off because i i was like that is it she's looking sharp she's looking great Yeah. yeah that was a great shirt well and i love her and i think that the thing that we talk about on the show and i've talked about a lot is just like how important representation is they really showed people that you can be a successful all woman band that's like irreplaceable like you cannot overstate how important that is and how many people went on to start bands now the part that is so hard and sad and tragic in my opinion is that you know we haven't had that level of success from an all-girl band since then. Mm -hmm. And that I think is like really tragic. But I also think too, this documentary too, and them getting, wow, I'm about to say something good about the rock (laughs) hall. Uh-oh, I say uh-oh. something good about the rock hall. It's not my style. Be, listeners, be prepared to <laughs> clip this out of the show and spread it widely. Go ahead. Exactly. Kristen. It is going to come back to haunt me. But like, that is what I think can be good about the rock hall is that it's elevating the profile of this band that maybe people didn't realize just how revolutionary it was, what was happening with them. And maybe hopefully, fingers crossed, it will inspire more young people, more young women to be in bands and to start bands and to not give up and to know that it can happen, that it doesn't have to be a male industry solely. That is one thing that is good about these annual inductions is that it's raising the profile often of very worthy artists. Some more than others. 
Mm-hmm. But and some who who could use it more than others exactly. too. Exactly, mm-hmm. and that that was one of the, kind of when we were campaigning for certain people this year. It was a lot about that. Yeah, and to explain what Kristen means, we got on the phones with voters this year. We were, would you call it canvassing? Would you call it yeah, were we electioneering? What were we, what yeah, were we doing? Yeah, we were exactly? lobbying. We were canvassing. We were canvassing. We had, we you did. know, people had their ballot. We were polling as well, but we were also getting out the vote. Strong arm. Yeah, we were doing GOTV. That's what we were doing. <laughs> I wouldn't strong. Strong arming. And the go-go's we were at the top of the list for us. It was votes, absolutely at the yeah. top of the list for us. But the truth is we did not have to like convince too many people because they were yeah. already they would you know, that was already a, a check in the ballot box that they were already making. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they're being inducted is yeah, sure the film was helpful just in reminding people, but they deserve it. They've deserved it for a long time. And you know, and I'm glad that there's a lot of attention this year being paid to a lot of great women being inducted too. And that's mm-hmm. often, women have often been overlooked in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nowhere, I mean, not, I was about to say nowhere more than LOL, many places <laughs> more than. Yeah, yeah there are but, plenty of places, sadly. Uh, including and especially on the, even just like the number of nominees, you know, there it's often that you couldn't even vote for many women on if you even if you wanted to there weren't even available to you on the ballot i think it's really great to imagine young women seeing that and thinking oh that could be me that looks cool that looks fun I think oftentimes you hear about bands or women in rock music and they're talking about their relation to men. You know, they were someone's girlfriend or they were trying to impress someone, et cetera, et cetera. It was like these women wanted to be a part of this scene and they wanted to do it with other women. It's interesting that you bring that up because we, other than Jane and Terry and Jane and Gina, we really don't bring up relationships in the film. Mm-hmm. And we did that intentionally because it, mm-hmm. they were focused on their music and they had things going on, but that wasn't what was important for their story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of Jane and Gina, was that something that the documentary exposed? Was that something that people knew about that there was a time where, where Jane Weedlin and Gina Shock were having a relationship? I don't think most people knew about it. I knew about it. Brett knew about it. You know, uh, certainly a lot of people did, but I think the general public, I think that was, that was news. And Gina just went there. I didn't force her at all. She just went there. And she has a very funny attitude about it. You know, there's there's that moment where she says, she says, she's like, and then she dumped me and it it seems like it's going to be serious. And then she breaks out into laughter. Yeah. So good. Yeah. To what you guys were saying about how it seems like all the members have processed the toughest parts of things and, you know, that they've talked through it and they're comfortable with everything that happened, like, I think for Gina and Jane, that moment was such a small thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, I think Gina was excited to just laugh. Yeah. yeah and Jane was happy that she brought it up because mm-hmm. Jane didn't bring it up at all. I interviewed Jane before Gina. Uh, just kind of speaking of stuff that maybe we didn't see footage of, There's they talk about the SNL performance Oh, that's got to be expensive, right? That's, I bet not, that yeah, was yeah. my that was my the NBC yes. uh, vault. The archive yeah, is just just too. But much. you know what? It's not just money. It's that because they truly are messed up in that. But in order for you to really see it, you have to play almost the whole thing for it to come across. And mm-hmm. Gina, in her genius, was taking pictures of everything. She captured the moments of how <laughs> fucked up they were on single frames. 
Uh-huh. So we just use 30 seconds of it and get boom, 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 get out. And it was better told that way, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, just what a gold mine all of her photos were. Wow. How yeah, amazing. Chaos in her part, her house in San Francisco. She's like, oh, there's some shit in that drawer. We pull it out and there'd be like a thousand Polaroids. You pull up another drawer. So I was like trying to organize it for her. It was nuts. But I did organize it for her. I hope she didn't throw it all back in boxes. <laughs> that was very nice of you. Wow. <laughs> I want to give a, a shout out to Paula Jean Brown. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, a, a late addition to both the movie and the group. You know, she she steps in when Jane Weedland leaves. And, you know, she's not with the band for very long, but her presence and what she does is so important. I mean, she saves Charlotte's life. Yeah. And that was such a powerful moment. And I, I thought it was interesting that it, it took an outsider to step in and see the problem immediately and got her the help she needed. Yeah. I'd say within, especially to Paula's credit, she had never played a gig like rock and Rio. Like she, <laughs> she had been only in really like obscure unknown bands. And so amidst all the excitement, I'm sure she felt the fact that she was brave enough to say to this new person, Charlotte, who she was really indebted to for the opportunity, but mm-hmm. just telling her about how uh, she needed help. Yeah. No, it's Paul's a brave person for sure. Yeah. And then she writes mad about you. I mean, come yeah. on. That was one of the things that I thought was so interesting about the movie was, and it's so interesting about the band. It is so uncommon for so many people in a band to all be gifted songwriters. Yeah. You've three great songwriters and it's just really a lot of incredible talent. I think that the movie talks about it and stuff too, about the value that we place on songwriting versus performance and kind of like how much more money you can make if you are a songwriter. And we just were talking about the Black Godfather last week, but like, you know, one of the big things that he is always telling to his, he was always telling to his clients and to anyone that he was advising was you have to own your masters and you have to own the publishing rights. Like those are things that you absolutely have to do. Absolute props forever and ever to Ginger for knowing that, saving them from getting that terrible first record deal that so often is what happens to bands. We've just seen that story over and over again. Their debut album is their biggest selling best of all time. And they made $20 off it because they got a terrible deal because they were so excited to sign something, you know, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing, but you know, I do think that the bands that have had a lot of longevity are ones, you know, like you two and REM that, that just say we share everything across the board right? and don't delineate that way because everyone does contribute. There are two sides mm-hmm. to the story and I get it. I get it. But I was very disappointed when Jane left. I, I was watching them and I like, no, she leaves. But I'm watching, I'm like, don't leave for what? For this? It's not work. Don't do it. You know, come on. And then also just seeing how much it hurts Gina and Kathy and like, yeah, it's hard to be just a drummer out there. You know, a drummer rarely is the focus point of a band a few major exceptions, but like it, it is. It's a it's, thankless job. Yeah. 
it's like also one of those things where if you're not a songwriter too, and she's like, I'm not a trained musician and I'm not real. Well, she went on to be a songwriter, but you yeah. know, it was like, she had, she's like, I love the band. I want to stay in the band. And it's so, oh, that was so hard for, I was like, Jane, don't go. Why'd you do it? But she like wanted the respect. Like I get it. She, she wanted principles to- and yeah, stuck to her guns and you have to respect that. Yeah. I guess. Come on. The other thing you have to remember is above every it was the 80s. <laughs> there was a lot of drugs going on and it doesn't it doesn't help people's perspective on things. Yeah. Right. Tale as old as time, but a true story. And that's why we keep telling it. But it's like money ruins everything. <laughs> that's when the yep. fun stops. Like the money comes in and then now everybody's miserable. They're playing the biggest stadiums of their lives. Their dream is coming true and they're, they've never been less happy. And I was just like, give them a break. Let's get, let's, let's give them a vacation over. It's all they ever wanted. Yeah. Vacation. I did hear that it was all they they ever wanted. (laughs) They They all say the early years were the happiest times, the most fun, the most exciting. The ones they look back with uh, at with the fondest memories. Mm -hmm. that's true true of life and that's why and that's why i think these things transcend just people who are into music per se they become they're human stories Mm -hmm. you know we all have this inflated idea of what our dream is and then we look back and we go oh shit getting there was actually the better part Mm -hmm. i miss the better part worrying about getting there Mm -hmm. right because you know once you have something now it's like you could lose it that's why I don't ever plan to be successful. I just <laughs> keep journeying. There you go. Okay. Keep saying that. So yeah, that we we obviously see after Jane leaves the that's kind of the beginning of the end, and the band eventually breaks up, and we get some flashes of you know what they do after the band is gone. I have to. I don't know if this is my top Easter egg, but you see a photo of the band House of Shock. And one of the members of House of Shock is a guy named Vance DeGeneres, who had a comedy career and is Ellen DeGeneres' brother. What? I was oh, yeah. about- And that's, it's a fleeting moment. It's only like truly for like comedy nerds. You're like, Vance DeGeneres was a correspondent on The Daily Show for a little bit and is Ellen's brother. But you see it like in a, in a promo photo for Gina's post Go-Go's band. So, Joe, did, did you just recognize Vance from the photo? You know Vance that well? Is that right? It, it has all their names. Oh, it has the yeah, names. It's yeah, it's written right. Yeah, and I would, I would not have recognized an old picture of Vance DeGeneres from his face alone, but no, it was, it was, the, it was the name. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The, to me, that's a... It's also like one of the Easter eggs where like, I want to like point and yell it out, and everyone's like, well, what are you talking about? We had at one point a bit of him talking, of them talking. Did we cut that out? I can't remember. Vance? Yeah. Vance is not talking. Oh, as far as Vance, I know. Vance and Gina had a had they had a little bit in there at one point, but we had to cut it, I guess. So yeah. Joe, I, I think I had the same reaction. Uh it must have been when I looked at the photo and I, I Googled Vance DeGeneres just in case. There can't be that many degeneraces. And uh-huh. I think I called Allison because I was so blown away with it. And uh yeah, it just sort of, you know, there it is, Vance. Yeah. Well, here's another Easter egg. Vance DeGeneres' wife, Joanna, is a headshot photographer. (laughs) 
and she took my headshots in Chicago. Whoa. Uh, 10 years ago. Wow. Incredible. Because <laughs> I was like, wait, Ellen has a Ellen has a brother too because I knew that like Joanna DeGeneres was also was in some way related to Ellen, but now I just googled it and realized that no, she's Ellen's sister in law, mm. and she is married to Vance, who was apparently on The Daily Show and and wow. in House of Shock. House of Shock, most the importantly. House of Shock. So yeah, we we see you know what happens after the go-go's and we see the rebirth of the go-go's they they come back and the hollywood walk of fame and the broadway musical and we see them playing together you know back together performing music for the first time in a while and, and everybody's wearing glasses looking at their music <laughs> i love it <laughs> i think it's great yeah. i think i want to see more things like that i want to see more women in their middle ages rocking living being alive looking like human beings like yeah, our, I our culture that. tends to not show that which is unfortunate yeah i i had a I question gina loses the beat because she she grabs a coffee or, or whatever happens when they're rehearsing and then she says you know it doesn't hurt to rehearse it only makes you tighter which we had heard early on in the in the movie did you just use that clip in the beginning or is that something she literally has been saying in that is that like a, a phrase of hers that she's been saying for 40 years oh both are true okay it's one of history's mysteries guys <laughs> yeah. fair enough because at, at that time in the movie you know it's the introduction of gina and she's a workhorse and she whips everybody into shape and you hear that phrase and you think like oh maybe this is just they were recording something and it's it it's you know what was recorded to tape but then you hear it <laughs> the exact same phrasing later and i was just I, that was my well we tried to treat it so it sounded like it was archived earlier <laughs> right and and you did it, it certainly fooled me absolutely we're really we're learning the easter eggs are are all coming out we're finding them so the movie ends on rock and roll hall of fame talk <laughs> it does it does the final moments before the mm -hmm. credits there's some stuff mid-roll but uh, is and it's not them talking about it. It's you know Chris Connolly and, and Miles Copeland and Kathleen Hanna. Uh, the decision to make that the final moment is that well, if if anything, it would help. Is that the thinking? From my perspective, I was so pissed that they weren't inducted the year that we were going to take all that shit out. Mm -hmm. And I said, "Fuck it, we're keeping it in." And I was fully prepared for the band to say, mm, maybe we shouldn't do it. And they were like, ah, oh, yeah, fuck it, we'll leave it in. So it just, you know, they all say they don't care, but they do. And I care for them. And it, it also it was funny. Yeah, absolutely. And I think yes. it, it, it's a note that I do think ending on it and, and the acknowledgement of it, let alone the whole documentary, like I said, I think it's the, that momentum that was built. I do think it, it played a part in their induction. And so I thank you, <laughs> but like genuinely, I, I mean, like yeah. what a, a great culmination, uh, what a year for them. And can we talk about your involvement with the induction ceremony? Um, I'm, I'm cutting their, their videotape for the, for the induction. So 
the package, which is the package, you know, one of our favorite parts of the ceremony. Always, the, always the love these it. induction ceremonies. These packages are are so much fun, and I think I'm so glad that you're doing it because you're you have the qualifications to do so. Yeah, well, we're using a lot of the film. I'm just trying to show their progression. It's it you know it, it it's going to be fun. How long is the uh, the package, Allison? Eight, What's the run? Eight, eight minutes. Okay, <laughs> just personally thinking about this like we spent a good year plus of our lives putting together a 90 minute telling mm -hmm. of their story and mm -hmm. now you have to put it into eight i do not envy you but you're a bold wonderful <laughs> wizard so does it yeah. have to get shorter still because usually last year was different because it was like a pandemic special right. it was almost like a documentary so some of these packages were like 15, 20 minutes 15, long. Yeah. yeah, they're saying eight this year. They're, they're saying eight? Okay, interesting. Because that is, that's like kind of in the middle from last yeah, I mean, year. It could, and change, it could shift one way or the other a little bit, I think. But yeah, but you know, it'll be okay. I just, it's just, you know, there's so much good stuff. It's like, you know, an of embarrassment course. of riches. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's going to be, be better amazing. than okay. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. One thing I know it's like to shave off so many crucial, important things to make that small time frame. But one of the things I do think that is genuinely cool about it being a little bit shorter is like it punches you like the impact. It hits you. And that's always a fun and exciting thing about those packages is that you get a lot very quickly. Yeah, yeah, it's you get, a like, real, amped up. <laughs> yeah, it's a real rush. Even bands that you don't like or think that you care about at all by the end of, of a good little mini doc, you're, you're like, your oh fist. my gosh, <laughs> I do. They should be in the rock hall. I care about the Doobie Brothers, I guess. <laughs> How did this happen to me? Uh, Allison, are, have you been talking to the band at all about their induction? Not recently. We I uh, haven't spoken with them in a little while, but I probably will again soon. I haven't told them I'm doing the film for them. Breaking news. Breaking news. Wow. <laughs> Once again, who cares about the rock halls? Got the scoop. Baby. <laughs> They're going to call me and say, all right, the bit you cut out about this, I want that in. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, they, they should yeah. not know because, yeah. <laughs> exactly. To... Yeah, send it to them when it's done. Look, the highlight of the highlight reel. Let them, let them see it at the induction. That's, that's the yeah. move. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know if either of you guys know this, but it is, at least publicly, a question mark if Belinda Carlisle is going to be in attendance. Oh, because coming from Thailand? She has a UK tour that was booked a while ago with some conflicting dates, and the date don't of the ceremony there. is one of them. I don't, I'm, I'm not saying that knowing. Yeah. You don't know, yeah. but you yeah. have. Yeah, I'm I sure. Think, we feel similarly. Yeah. Make She's just causing drama. <laughs> I mean... Hey, stir it up, Belinda. Well, I mean, exactly. I mean, that's what Kathy was saying. She's like, you know, and we gave Belinda a hard time for being a diva. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and let, let, I mean, on the record, we love Belinda. And I oh. say like, hey, Belinda, maybe squeeze some dollars out of the rock hall to help you reorient your tour and cancel those dates. And, you know, you know, mm -hmm. play, play it smartly, but also show up because oh, th th this is my other question. With the Rock Hall induction, would you consider an addendum to the movie? Uh, interesting. I don't know. I feel like if they wanted to do it, I would, you know, totally support them doing it. I'm not sure I would do it. Mm -hmm. Just because I'm thinking it ends on that note of like, why aren't they in? I don't know. See, see how it looks sneak after the induction sneaking in, you know, 
The, oh, maybe, maybe that would be okay. Just sneak something in at the end, like a joke. Roll it in over credits. Yeah, exactly. Put credits, it, put it yeah. mid roll or something, and yeah, 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 that'd be fine. Get, get, because it would give you that that satisfaction. Yeah, no, that's an interesting idea. Joe's that's, out here changing hearts and minds. <laughs> that means Allison loves it. That's her way of saying dynamite. <laughs> that, thank you thank you for the translation Brett. <laughs> yeah yeah you're welcome well uh, before we wrap up is there anything about this movie whether it is like stuff that you wish that you could have included but had to leave on the cutting room floor or anything about the process that we haven't covered that that you would like to share either of you I mean, I the sad thing for me was not including their their road manager Bruce Patron who died last year, um, not of COVID but of some something else. And he was so funny, and there were so many great scenes. But at some point, the film was almost too funny, and we had to balance the. So we ended up having to yeah. cut him out of the film, and we told him before we were going to play in Tribeca, which of course didn't happen. And he was very supportive and then he passed away and that was very sad. Um, I'm so, so I'm trying to sneak a little bit of him into the rock and roll Hall of Fame package. Oh, that's, that's great. That's great. I think it's a very nice gesture. Yeah. And also will, will be something to look out for. Yeah. Brett, right? what, yeah. what about you? Anything that you remember reviewing that you, you felt bad that had to be left out? Interestingly, like when you're working on these things, you... I think working with Allison, like we focus so much on like boiling things down to the most essential version of the story as much as we could. So it, it's not like any huge plot points or stories stick out. I know at one point I was arguing to like put a lot more sort of 80s pop culture flavor in the movie. Okay. It, including, I don't know, it, including like intros from 80s shows or something it, like TV appearances, maybe they did. Ouija board, um, Brett. Ouija board. You wanted the Ouija board. <laughs> what? Well, what? Okay. okay. Ouija board, I, Rubik's Cube. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Was there like a Rubik's Cube spins across, the, wipes the screen? <laughs> Great Ouija board story. Tell it. No, no, that was all goofy stuff. But no, Allison is right. We, <laughs> we did go back and forth a lot on a Ouija board scene where where Belinda and Pleasant Gaiman, who is in the film, mm -hmm. they speak about their time in Disgraceland. Is that right, Allison? Yep. I feel like you're going to kill this story much better than I would. Well, they yeah. do the Ouija board thing, and they say what, they ask a question, and that says, this room is dirty. <laughs> and then... <laughs> And then there was something else that happened. I don't remember. It was like some crazy thing, but it was a really funny scene, but it took like a minute and it was like. Am I remembering correctly? Didn't the Ouija board call them sluts? Yeah. Is that right? That's right. The punchline was the Ouija board called them sluts. That's right. Yeah. A fun moment maybe doesn't move the story along, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll see if it makes it into the Rock Hall package. Fingers <laughs> crossed. <laughs> People will be like, who is Pleasant Gaiman? She'll make it in that Okay, cool, cool, cool. Oh, cool. Well, I want to thank both of you for taking the time to join us on the show. This was really great. And uh, it's exciting to know that there there's more coming from you, Allison, at the Rock Hall. So yeah. that's, that's really exciting. Of course, the documentary is just called The Go-Go's, which is... To the point, and I love it. Allison and Brett, thank you so much. Is there anything you would like to plug before we wrap up? Anything that's out or you're working on to look forward to? Not at the moment. I 
stuff in the works. Okay. All right. Top secret projects. But the one plug I would say is uh, everyone should make sure they listen front to back to the Go-Go's Beauty and the Beat album. I, I think it's so accessible and it's like head to toe. It is such, such a good album. So Agreed. many great songs. Agreed. Um, there will be songs on there that you will go, how is this not a hit song? How do I not already know this? This is my new favorite song. Oh yeah, it's deep. I felt that about a lot of the songs that were like playing in the movie. I was like, oh, this is a great song. Yes, even times when they were like, oh, and then we don't like this album or like this was, we were having a really hard time. I'm like, and yet the songs. <laughs> I will also say, I think the second album is great. I think the album Vacation yeah. is great. I know yeah. they- they dismiss it. It will feel like they could have used more time making it, but it's it's got some good gems in there, even beyond just the, the title track. I think all three of them are packed with gems. The first one is almost perfect. The second and third are damn close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, uh, the, our final note is go listen to the Go-Go's. Yeah, get It'll out just, there. Just make your life better. For sure. Our listeners know they can follow us at RockAllPod on Twitter and Instagram. RockAllPod at gmail.com is the email. If you want Kristen to see that, designate that somewhere in your message. Otherwise, I'm not going to forward it to her. She doesn't want to read it. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us five stars only, even if you think we're a solid four. Give us five because, really, that's the only meaningful way to, to do that. Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusu Kim for the music. Thank you to Pantheon Podcast for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares about the Rock Hall? Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits. Perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour. Presented by Capital One. Ooh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about those sounds? Those are the sounds of an LG wash tower with ultra-large capacity, serving up a powerful yet gentle clean in just 29 minutes. Making this the sound of savings on the best appliance brands. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Get up to 25% off the LG wash tower with ultra-large capacity and reduced wash time. Pricing valid January 5th through January 25th, 2023. Gas dryer extra. U.S. only. See store or online for details. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points.
FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 